Hello and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read, you absolute legends. This week's episode is a book review episode of Stolen Focus, a new book by Johan Hari. It came out on January 6th and I read it and it was great. So here are the highlights of it and a few things that you might need to know when you're making the decision of whether you want to read the whole book. Before we get into that, just a quick word from the sponsors of the show. First sponsor is me. This is a self-funded podcast, right? I have an email list. I'd love for you to sign up to it. I'm going to be bringing out some webinars soon that should be really, really helpful for people. It's taken me a while to get to the point where I'm like, right, I've got the information that will help people here. So I'm going to start putting that into practice and giving that out to people, whilst also making sure that I can keep this podcast running. Secondly, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, they're a company that provide online therapy service. Therapy has been profound for me in my sort of journey, however you want to call it, and it's really just helped me filter through my brain and learn to trust and what not to trust when it comes to my thoughts. It's been a great coping mechanism for when things get a little bit tough, and I love it and think a lot of people should be doing it. If you are considering it, then head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read. You can get 10% off your first month and all you have to do is run through a quick five to 10 minute survey. From that point, they'll match with a therapist and you could be chatting to them within 48 hours. But let's get into the podcast. So before we start this book review, I just want to give you some pretty shocking statistics, right? So... I heard in a song, and this is a song by Dave, Dave the Rapper, um, not Lil Dicky, but Dave the Rapper from the UK, from Streatham, to be precise. And at the end of his song, Children of the Internet, which is a banging song, by the way, and it, it's a very good social commentary, but at the end, there's like a little bit of a snippet from a speech, and a woman says, we earnestly touch our phones, touch, tap, type our phones over a million times per year. That is fucking chicken oriental, right? A million times a year we touch our phones. I don't think that's a good thing. But what that breaks down to, I think, is about over 2,600 times every 24 hours. I was a bit sceptical at first. But if you think about it, the amount of times that you're, like, typing stuff, maybe you type a long paragraph, that counts as one of your 2,600. Every time you touch it in your pocket, every time you tap and type away, that's kind of worrying, isn't it? Another statistic is the average American, and let's face it, we're not that different to Americans. Some of us are probably going to be worse, some of us a little bit better, are spending three hours and 15 minutes on their phone. If you times that by seven, we're almost at 24 hours a week. Almost one of your seven days per week would be spent on your phone. That also quite concerning. Students in the US now, because of their distraction and the way that they've been distracted with their life, can't focus for over 60 seconds. And he says in the book, it's like, if you're an adult and you're kind of feeling a bit su- superior, whilst you're at work, the average American, also, once again, not too different to the UK, can't focus on any given task at work for more than three minutes. Again, I was quite sceptical of this. But when you think about it, that when you're fully focused on something, it doesn't actually take long for you to drift off of it. Now, I was listening to an Andrew Huberman podcast the other day on goal setting and visualisation, I think it was. He said a really good way to get yourself prepped to go into work is to focus on one point in the wall for a minute. Say it's like a dot or a line, and you just focus on it, unbroken, with your eyeballs, looking straight at it. It's actually difficult. It's a really long 60 seconds when you do that primes you to be a little bit more focused in the work that you do you're still probably not going to be able to focus that well. And that's what this book is all about. It's about how our focus is essentially being fucked 
by ourselves, by the media, by technology, it's playing a huge part, by our diets, by pollution. There are lots and lots of causes for this, which Johan goes into in the book. Johan Hari just happens to be one of my favourite authors, and I was very close to getting him on the podcast. He's told me 2023, he could be lying to me. I'm going to just trust in him as a person, because I do, in fact, think the sun shines out of his ass. And hopefully he'll be on in 2023. I was trying to get him on for this, believe me. I tried pretty hard. We've been having a little bit of a, a little banter flirt on the old email. But yeah, he piped me off until 2023. So you're going to have to deal with me explaining his book to you. And hopefully next year he's got a new book that he can explain to you and he'll do a far better job than I do. So the book starts off when he's talking about his godson. So when his godson was younger, he used to dress up as Elvis and dance like Elvis and sing Elvis's songs. And it was quite it was quite a big thing in when when he went round. And he noticed when his godson got to about 15, all he fucking does is go on his phone. I'm sure if you know, like, teenagers in your family, or I don't know if you're, maybe you're a teenager listening, they spend an awful lot of time on their phones. These kids, which makes me, by the way, of course, think, shut up, you old twat. But, let's face it, kids are spending too much time on their phones. And I don't think it's going to be a good thing for humanity in general, um, or for them, for their mental health, for anything, and specifically for their focus. And this is what Johan's worried about. The reason that he wrote the book and what sort of caused his concern was when he took his godson over to America to go to Elvis's mum's house, which I believe is a museum. When he got there, he was met with a person with an iPad, not just a standard tour guide who was like, hey, let me take you around. And it's like, all right, here's your iPad. Get on with it. Go, go on your little tour. When he was in one of the rooms of the houses, he saw an old couple next to him who were just arguing about which room they were in. But the catch was, neither of them were looking up. None of them were looking around them. They were all looking at the iPad to see on the map sort of where they were, even though there was pictures on the map which they could have referenced as they just looked up around them. They'd have seen the room that they were in. So at the time, he wanted to say to them, like, are you fucking mental? Look up. Look at the room you're in. You don't have to look at the iPad the whole time. Um, and that, that was one of the problems. Now, I don't want to explain this whole book to you. I want to give you enough information so that you've you kind of got a short summary, but you've also got enough to know that, like, yeah, I can I can read this book. There's so much information here because Johan Hari just so happens to be incredibly thorough. So there's no way that I'm going to give you all of the information, but a lot of the relevant bits and the bits that I found most interesting, that's what's going to be coming up. But I read this book and a, and a little bit of a story from me and something I'm feeling a little bit, not necessarily passionate about, but something I've noticed recently and a way that I'm going to try and combat this myself. is that, So I read it in Mexico. Um, on the plane over is when I finished it. And I'm very glad that I did because it, it made me realise how much time I've spent on my phone on previous holidays, whether that's on maps or whether that's trying to organise going to see people, whether that's going out and taking photos of fucking everything to never look at those photos again. I, I'm quite unique, I think, that I don't really like looking at other people's photos. It doesn't it doesn't bother me. I, with my ex, had a bit of a... Well, I think I annoyed her a little bit because she used to sell, show me photos of stuff and I'm like, oh, I don't care. But I can't help that. I can't help that I don't care. Maybe I shouldn't have said it. Um, but yeah, as a person, photos of stuff, for me, if someone shows me, I'm like, oh, cool. Like, 
why don't you just tell me about it? Explain. Use your language. It'll be more exciting. I can I can quiz you about it as opposed to just showing me a photo and then there's no need to describe a photo because I've already seen it. Pisses me off. Um, anyway, I didn't take my phone out in the morning. So I'd go out, I'd go to the beach, I'd take my book. Um, also, it means I never have to worry about putting my phone on the beach and stuff getting stolen out of my bag. I literally go with my book bag, not available anymore, but pretty cool. Take it down to the beach, towel, book, keys, fine. Don't have to worry about that shit getting stolen, do I? Really? Let's face it. So I can have an anxiety-free swim in the water, or I can just sit on the beach and I'm forced to read my book, or I'm forced to do a crossword, which is a new thing that I'm getting into. Of course I do sound like a 77-year-old, but crosswords are pretty cool. Um, And I wouldn't have done that if I didn't read this book. So I'm really, really grateful that I did read it on the plane over, and, and that I finished it on the plane over, sorry. Because I think I enjoyed my holiday a lot more. I was I was there as opposed to thinking about showing other people where I was, if you get what I mean. And I noticed it a few times. In New Mexico, they have these things called cenotes, which are basically just giant fucking holes in the ground that are full of water, and they're sick. They're really cool. You can jump into them. You can swim under rocks and stuff, and they're really cool. On one of the last days, I went to one. There was this group of girls. They were all there with dry hair. You can't swim and have dry hair. None of them had uh, those little shower caps. They went there. They sat on the edge of the rock, took photos of each other's bums, and then honestly, for about an hour, they were just sat on the side, just looking at these photos, sending them to each other. I was like, guys, you're in a sonata. Like, everything around you is pretty fucking cool. But you're just bothered about the photo of your bum. It didn't make that much sense to me. And it was kind of sad to see. And then I'm also like, am I a prick because... I think I know better than them. It's uh, it's pretty concerning, if I'm honest. So yeah, that, that was one thing that made me glad that I read this book. Another thing that I've noticed is when I'm not taking my phone out and I'm going for dinner with people or I'm, I'm, I'm at the beach with a friend, I'm more focused on them. I'm more engaged in the conversation. And that is obviously never a bad thing, being more engaged in the conversation with the people that you care about. In the book, he talks about, like, if you're distracted, this is, the example is at work, and that's where the study comes from, but I'm going to apply it to real life as well, is if you're distracted, it takes about 23 minutes to get back to the task at hand. So when you are out with your friends, or you're out for dinner, and and you go on your phone to, like, take a photo of your food, which obviously no one gives a fuck about, unless you're a food blogger, um, shout out food chambers, but what if you then get a WhatsApp We've spoken about this before on the podcast about attention residue. If you see something, your brain wants to finish that task. And that takes you out of the conversation with your friends. And that is shit. We need to be more present. So that's my little uh, analogy. That's my, that's my hypothesis is that if we go on our phones when we're with our friends, when we're out, we're losing a lot of the present moment and the present moment is quite important especially with your with your friends because they'll like you more if you're more in the present moment and you'll like them more if they're not distracted and on their phones um whilst you're with them so a lot of this book's research jumping back to the book here he went to provincetown which i believe is somewhere near boston in the states and it's not essentially in the middle of nowhere he went there with no internet he took no a laptop without access to the internet a phone without access to the internet and he stayed there for three months. And he noticed just how dire the situation was. 
about how busy your brain gets when you aren't constantly distracted by your phone. Um, like when I spoke to Nirial about these constant distractions, he, Johan Hari actually spoke to Nirial for this book and he was mugging him off a bit. It's quite interesting and it definitely made me think a little bit differently about my conversation with Nirial and I'm a bit gutted that I don't think the same way as Johan Hari. But he went to Provincetown essentially as a pre-commitment to himself and he references um, Homer's Odyssey. It's like an ancient story, probably 2,000 odd years old, really, really old. And in Homer's Odyssey, a guy called Eleusis is going to sail through the seas and there's a particularly rough patch of sea this is obviously a story, remember, where there are these beautiful, sexy fish women, essentially mermaids, right? Personally, I mean, I'm not into that, but in the story, Eleusis and a lot of other people are quite keen on these sexy fish ladies, so much so that they jump off their boats and, and they, they jump into the sea. So Eleusis got his staff or, or people who were working on the boat to tie him to the mast, hand and feet, so that no matter how much he wanted to, he wouldn't jump in the sea. He sailed past them, he was fine, and then, that was it. It's the pre-commitment. He tied himself to the mast, there was no way he could give in to the temptation, and that is what Johan Hari was doing in terms of going to Provincetown. It was his pre-commitment to himself. I like that story. Whenever I'm going to talk about pre-commitment ever again in the future, I'm going to be bringing up Homer's Odyssey. Um, and I actually bought it the other day. It's like two ninety nine on Kindle, if you've got one of them. And most Penguin Classics, wherever you buy them, are pretty cheap because they've sold them in such mass that they don't really need to make that much money um, from them anymore. So that's what we did. Went to Provincetown. Had a good time. Noticed exactly what was wrong, really. And it was that he was too distracted. Now I'm just going to touch on the chapters of the book and a, and a little bit from each one not all of them because I don't want to ruin the book for you but the first one is about how the world is speeding up and I think you all have noticed this I've noticed this from when I was a kid like I remember the first phone I had was like a one of those shitty Nokia ones or, or like a Sony Walkman phone but I remember I left that in a Tesco bag down the skate park I was gutted man but you couldn't do much on them right right now your phone's more powerful than computers that were around 15 years ago your phone is super, super powerful. It's got access to everything. It's got access to the internet. It's got access to Twitter, which I don't recommend using. I think it's a dreadful cesspit of people. Everything's quick. Tweets are, what, 240 characters? Everything's being condensed and catering to this fast life, which is speeding everything up, speeding everything up. It's like, no wonder we're anxious and, and depressed because everything's moving so fast. He says that, let's say an average newspaper was about 85 pages. By 2007 which I think was a year after the first iPhone came out, or the year of the first iPhone coming out, human beings, with the news and, and with phones and with, with tech and stuff like that, were essentially getting all of the information from 174 85-page newspapers. That's a lot. That's, I mean, too much? Probably. It's definitely a lot. So... We, we've got this information overload and that I don't think is very good for us. It, when he also talks in the speed, the speeding up chapter is about speed reading and multitasking. So speed reading, honestly, speed reading, what's the point? People ask me, if, how can I read quicker? How can I speed read? I don't think you want to. I personally like reading because it helps me slow down. It helps me get into the moment. It helps me focus on one task at a time. And I enjoy that because I just realised how difficult that is nowadays. And luckily, 
speed reading actually reduces your comprehension. And I mean, there's not much point reading a book if you're not going to try and understand something from it. So the faster you read it, the less you comprehend, and that's great. Of course, there are people out there who are like speed reading champions, but they still don't comprehend stuff as much as they should or that you would want to when reading a book. Talks about multitasking as well um, in here. Multitasking, no one can do it basically, but we believe that we can. We're being fed this live multitasking because computers could multitask. They could run two separate programs at once, whereas human beings, we can't do that. We can flip between tasks, which essentially induces fatigue in our brains, and it's not good. So get rid of the idea of multitasking. Just focus on one thing at a time, and your life will be profoundly better because you're going to be less fatigued, and that's quite important. The second chapter is about flow. Now, flow is a book that I've got by Mihai Cheshinowski. I don't know the, like, I've, I've butchered it. I've butchered this, the name there. But you'll be able to Google it. It's literally the only book that's called Flow out there, right? So doing flow activities, these are the ones, and you'll definitely have done them at some point. It's where you're just not worried about other parts of life. You're not thinking so much about other things that are going on. Flow activities that I do are jujitsu. You can't really think about much when someone's trying to strangle you or rip your arm off. You kind of have to think about the task at hand. I'm pretty shit at painting, right? But painting's a flow activity. Juggling is something that I've I've got into over the last year. I've probably spoken about that before. But that's a flow activity because you're just focusing on the next ball, the next ball, the next ball, the next ball, the next ball. You're not thinking about what you want for dinner or what this person said to you three years ago or what someone's going to say to you in, in tomorrow when you go to work and you tell your boss to shove it up his ass or something like that. You're just focused on the next task. You're not feeling the anxiety of the future and you're not worried or depressed about the past. It just brings you into the present moment. Crosswords that I spoke about before. Banging. I know it makes you feel old doing a crossword, but they are unreal and it brings you into the moment because you're just thinking about these words thinking about these words especially if they're difficult um and look let's i'll be very honest here i had a whole book of crosswords whilst i was away and i honestly did crosswords for the first five six days when i was going out for like breakfast and dinner and stuff on my own i didn't complete one of them because they are so hard and i thought i'd be all right because i read a lot and i feel like i'm starting to know a few more words but no that is not the case they're really really difficult and i can't really do them very well so that's it. We need we need to do a little bit more flow activities because we're not doing many of them at the moment. Most of the activities we do, we're trying to mark multitask. We'd be on our laptops whilst watching a film or we'd be on our phones whilst watching a film or whilst talking to a friend or watching something. It just, it's, uh, it's just a little bit depressing that, these activities that are nice, like a, a rock climbing, a painting, or reading, or chess, or any kind of flow activities, we don't do them enough. Or they're seen as like these rewards for something. We're rewarding ourselves with nice behaviours um, for being good, or, or for, for working hard. And I don't think it should be like that. I'm going to try and focus on putting flow at the centre of my life. I'm going to start training a little bit more with jiu-jitsu just to bring myself into the present moment as much as I possibly can. Obviously, I would advise people to meditate if they need that. Headspace.com forward slash need to read if, if you want to um, get a free trial of Headspace. But do things that are mindful, bring you into the present moment and are kind of flow states. Like a good novel. A good novel will grip you. That will just get rid of all your worries because you're only going to be worried about the main character. 
The next part of the book is about the rise of mental and physical exhaustion. I don't know about you, but my sleep um, over my adulthood, basically, hasn't been great. It's getting a lot better recently, but whilst I was in Mexico, it went to shit again. And it just made me realise just how bad it is to not sleep. I don't know what it was whilst I was over there. Maybe I felt unsafe unconsciously or subconsciously, but it was difficult because your whole day is ruined off a bad night's sleep. And when you accumulate like seven in a row, it's just not good. In the book, he mentioned the statistics. So if you have 18 hours awake, your blood alcohol level is 0.05%. To be legally drunk, well, not legally drunk, but by law, being drunk is 0.08%. So if you're up for 18 hours, you're pretty much pissed in terms of cognitive function. I don't think that's a good thing. So we need to focus on getting our sleep there. Obviously, I'll talk about diet and stuff later, but that helps. Uh, reducing stress and stress management really helps. Twitter probably doesn't help. Instagram probably doesn't help. Um, but on the subject of that blood alcohol level, there is a film, a Danish film called Druck or Another Round, and it's fucking brilliant. And it's about these guys who try and maintain a 5% blood alcohol level um, just in their day-to-day life. They're four teachers. It's good. If you can deal with the subtitles on a film, definitely watch that one. He says, think about your brains as like you're having a house party. You can't have a house party and clear up at the same time. You can either have people around and, and people doing fun things in your house, or you can clear up the next day. If you were going around clearing up whilst everything was going on, it's just going to create a mess again. So what sleep does is it washes out your brain of all the shit that you don't need and all the stuff that you've taken on board during the day that's going to end up being irrelevant. When you go to sleep, washes that out, gets rid of it, cleans up your brain. In the day, your brain's having a house party. You can't run on no sleep. It just doesn't work like that. So when it comes to like mental and physical exhaustion really talks about the importance of sleep which i i mean as sad as it is when you're not sleeping it is really important so it's that that was a good part of the book one of my favorite chapters of the book is death of sustained reading now some people will be like oh i read on the internet or i i read articles you you're not gonna be taking on the information as well as you would if you had a good solid paperback or a kindle they do say reading on a screen I don't know how specific they are. I feel like a Kindle screen is kind of different to when you're on a computer screen because there's all these other sort of things. You've got other tabs open, other stuff's popping up. Or someone's WhatsApp you if you've got WhatsApp for web, which uh, so it's a good one if you want to spend less time on your phone and you get to type a little bit quicker. Yeah, the death of sustained reading is, is not good. He says books, essentially, they're complex and, and you, you can't just go on Blinkist and, and have it cramped down. Of course you can, but you don't get the, like, the journey of a book you don't get the joy of picking and choosing the information that you want to remember you just get someone else's filtered down version of it i don't know about you personally i don't really want the filtered down version of it maybe someone or maybe a lot of you listening to this podcast do take this podcast as your filtered down version of the book um but that is that is your responsibility not mine i think personally people should be reading the books um if i reckon it's a recommendation i send i've sent this recommendation to my friends my family everyone it's it's serious that I think people should read this book because I think it's a serious problem. Um, not on Blinkist, not through this podcast, but just sitting there with the book. Not on Audible, sit there with the book. I challenge you, I challenge you to sit there and read Stolen Focus. 
because you're going to find it difficult. And there are so many benefits you can get from books. There's a 2009 study that was done in the University of Sussex, and the more I've looked into that study, the more I've realised how weird it is. Um, scientific studies, it was funded by Galaxy, I think, but they found that 30 minutes of reading is as good for a cortisol reduction, stress reduction, as about 30 minutes of a slow yoga flow. How unreal is that? You don't even have to do yoga, which, let's face it, everyone knows can be pretty shit. Reading, pretty lit. So get yourself reading for half an hour and you'll be stress-free as you would have been doing yoga. And if you don't believe me, just check the study that was funded by Galaxy Chocolate at the University of Sussex, and I'm pretty sure 2009. Um, And another thing for novels, I've spoken about this before, so I won't bore you with it, but they're great for emotional intelligence. People who read novels or literary fiction are scientifically been proven to have better emotional intelligence or better be able to comprehend what's going on in someone else's life. In other words, compassion and stuff like that. So the the benefits of reading books are pretty much endless. And obviously that's why I do this podcast, because I think books are fucking awesome. And I think everyone should read them. Um, so it was nice to see Johan Hari along that line as well. Now, tech that tracks us. Whilst I was away, I was... I was in a pretty shitty Airbnb for my last five days. Um, I think it cost me like 200 quid for a week, which is pretty cheap um, for for Mexico. And this Airbnb, it absolutely fucking stank in the nighttime. Something was going wrong with the drains. It wasn't great. But what was great about it is there was an American bloke who lived in the um, room below me. Firstly, he had a dog, which is great. Secondly, he was like a political data scientist from the States. I'm not going to mention his name just in case... Uh, he shouldn't have told me some of the stuff that he said. But he said that like there's a system in the States now. You can put someone's name in, and based on the information that they have about you, like from your sort of digital habits, they can tell who you're going to be working for. Or no, they can tell who you're going to be voting for. Isn't that mental? I would be very surprised if they didn't have that in the UK from your search history and all of that, they'll be able to see if you're going to be voting Green Party, Tory, Labour. I don't know who the other parties are. I'm starting to become very disinterested in politics because it just seems that no one's that sound in it. Yeah, it's just a bit crazy. There is so much information about us so that something can predict our voting behaviours or our voting patterns. That I'm not too comfortable with. I don't really know what to do to combat that. Um, but it will work on on some way to hopefully mean that some machine can't predict what I'm going to do in the future. Um, but yeah, this guy was super, super interesting. Uh, he was also telling me all sorts of other stuff about his life. He's from Colorado. Oh, should I say that? Yeah, fuck it. So he's from Colorado, which is where South Park is from. He said that he met the guy who Cartman was based off. So I'll take the little stinky drain and... Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd swap it for that. It was a good conversation. It was one of the best conversations I had when I was out there. Um, and I did have quite a few because I was talking to strangers, which is unlike me. But Johan Hari kind of encouraged me to do so because he made me realise how much technology is getting in the way of this kind of human connection, of these just standard conversations that we have with people on a, on a day-to-day basis. It was it was cool. And I feel like I'm a little bit less of an in- introvert now. Nah, that's not true. I'm definitely still an introvert, but I don't mind conversations with one stranger every now and then. But tech that tracks us. From the book, he spoke to some really interesting people. You might have seen Tristan Harris, um, the guy who did... Oh, what is it called on Netflix? The Social Dilemma. 
So we spoke to Tristan Harris um, for the book, the guy who did The Social Dilemma on Netflix. is a really interesting part about him. There was another part about a guy who created the infinite scroll. So you know how you used to have to reload stuff or change pages when you're on a, a web page. You had to go, you went down to the bottom and then you'd click like next or you'd click onto another subject heading and you'd go to a different part of that. The guy who, internet, uh, the guy who invented that says that he feels dirty. Because that's what keeps us on Instagram and, and, and Twitter and, and Facebook and, and fucking ASOS. Like, it's, it's this infinite scroll thing. It just never stops. You can never get to the bottom of it. And they, Jake Knapp and John Zaretsky spoke about it in, in Make Times, these infinity pools. It just never stops. It's on a constant cycle of there's just stuff to see. I don't know if anyone can complete Instagram now. It used to say, like, you're all caught up. But it doesn't even say that now because you, you're never all caught up. And that is fucking depressing. It's, it all kind of comes into like surveillance capitalism and, and about how... <coughs> and another thing to do with tech and about the algorithms and, and just this is quite a worrying thing, if I'm honest, is the bad stuff is picked up on the algorithm far more than good stuff. Words like bad and catastrophe and hate they seem to do or perform better in terms of metrics than ones with more positive words because we seem to just attach to negative stuff and i've seen johan hari talk about this before you know if you're in a car on a motorway there's a crash or there's like a field full of cows and flowers on the other side you're going to be looking at the crash aren't you and not the cows and the flowers because it's new it's exciting it's danger something's gone wrong so we as humans, we're just naturally drawn to that. We're drawn to this bad stuff. We have this kind of like negativity bias where we're just drawn to the negative stuff and that's shit as well. I, I know I'm sounding pretty negative about it, um, but it's hard to read about tech that tracks us and not feel a bit shit about it. Um, and, and the reason for that is, by the way, because if you're angry, you pay far less attention to the quality of the argument Fake news travels about six times faster than real news, and that was the study that was done at MIT, which is one of the leading universities in the world. And another thing that's quite worrying about technology is that you you may have heard or you may have seen on the news, um, yeah, Bolsonaro, he's, a, he's the Bra- Brazilian prime minister and president. He somehow influenced Facebook for their election with a load of fake news about the person who was running against him. And now he's, he's chopping down the Amazon. He's a bellend, like categorical bellend, and he's in charge of a whole country. Brazil, not a small country. It's got the Earth's lungs on it, the Amazon, and he's chopping them down at a far sort of greater rate than people have been doing in the past. So, yeah, Bolsonaro, absolute bellend, is now in charge of Brazil, and Facebook played a huge part in that the algorithm of facebook played a huge part in that so things are not going well for us in terms of facebook and instagram and honestly before i went away to mexico i was thinking about boycotting it i was thinking about actually stopping any to read in general and just and just doing the podcast part of it but obviously instagram is where i have the highest reach is where i can like kind of 
influenced the most people to start reading. So I was in a real catch-22, but I'm coming to it with a bit more of a positive mindset now because I kind of know a way to work it so that I'm not getting sucked in and that I'm not trying to keep people on there. But I did send an email out saying, sorry that I've been posting all those shitty little videos, like the reels that are like, hey, here's my life, it's a highlight. And I won't be doing that anymore. I don't want you on your phones any longer than you have to. I don't want to play any part in that. So if you are looking at your phone right now whilst you're listening to this podcast, get off it. Um, and just have a look up and see see what's out there in the real world. And if you're on Instagram now, definitely get off it. Um, unless you're going on to share this podcast, that would be that would be lovely of you. The whole idea, essentially, for me, is that I don't want to be putting stuff out there that's unhelpful, but there just for the metrics, there to get views or likes or or people looking at it for a long time. You get sucked into it. The algorithm starts playing with your head and makes you do do different things than than what you would do if you weren't influenced by the algorithm. Every time you log into Instagram, that algorithm that's been created is literally making you stay on the app. It is doing everything within its power. These are incredibly intelligent, unethical bastards in Silicon Valley who are trying to keep you on these apps. It's mental. Every time I think about it, I'm like, oh my God, the world is doomed. But there is, of course, hope. There is hope. Not so much hope, though. Because in one of the chapters, he talks about cruel optimism. And the whole idea of cruel optimism is that these big corporations who are causing the world to kind of go to shit a little bit feed us, or other people feed us these little methods in which we can hack it back or or that we can do something. And the same goes for like climate change. It's like, right, how much of a mug do you feel that you recycle your egg cartons when Jeff Bezos is going to the moon just because? Or some people have like 40 cars. You know? Well done for recycling your eggs box, but it's not going to make the difference that you think it would unless we get these people in power or with a lot of money, the bored people who seem to want to go to the moon, we need to sort them out. I mean, sure, recycle your egg box. I'm still recycling, even though I've heard of this cruel optimism thing and it really made me doubt everything that I do, like for the environment and stuff like that. But we need to sort out these people. An interesting thing I heard about the environment the other day is actually the best thing that we can do is lift people out of poverty. Um, so if you want to be an effective altruist and, and look at different places and areas in the world where people are really, really poor and, and well, they're just really poor, right? So they're, they're not bothered about the environment. You're not going to be bothered about recycling your plastic bottles or your egg cartons if you can't think about where your next meal is. So apparently one of the best things that you can do for the environment is help bring people out of poverty. Um, But the good news there is 137,000 people every single day are being lifted from poverty. um, And it's been doing that for a long time. So that is, is is on a positive note. Now, bad diets is another thing that he mentions in the book. And the study that he referenced is, is a bit of a small study. It's not very... It's not that solid. It's a Dutch study done in 2009 on about 27 kids. And I think it was like an... Like a split of like 15 of them had bad diets, or 12 of them didn't. Well, they all had bad diets in terms of like preservatives and and additives and all of this fake shit that goes into stuff. But they they did like an elimination diet, so they took out all of the bad stuff from their diet. And about 70% of the kids improved their focus, which is pretty good on an average of about 50%. And that is positive, making changes to your diet. 
and and that having an impact on your ability to focus and it does make sense let's face it when you eat like chicken wings or barbecue burger i always think back to this one like i used to eat this thing in bali from a place called uh lobster or lovester it's like a lobster roll but i used to get this like barbecue chicken roll and it was literally deep fried chicken and pretty much half a tub of barbecue sauce and it was so sickening and it was in like this it was pretty much in a brioche bun as well and every time i ate it i'd feel like shit so we know that bad food is bad for us right and since reading that part i've cleaned up my diet a little bit and I promise you, I feel a bit better. It's one of the reasons that like taking heights is is good for me. I'm pretty sure is because it does give you the nutrients that you need. And I'm not big on having a clean diet. I don't particularly enjoy it. Every time I cook a salad or something healthy, I think you boring twat. But it does make you feel good. So that is kind of important, right? So we need to clean up our diets. He talks about quite a nice story about how his grandparents are from Switzerland and they used to go on a farm and, and they'd grow their own food and they'd have their own meat and stuff like that. And we don't really have that nowadays. I always find it so bizarre that they're literally Iceland, the shop that sells loads of frozen food. Like, it's real. I find it crazy. And that, look, let's face it, that just shows my privilege that I can afford to not shop in Iceland. And some people don't have a choice, but it is fucking mental that the world we live in makes that food, that disgusting processed food that makes everyone feel like shit, that's the cheapest option. It's pretty dog shit that that's the case. Once again, feeling really positive about this, guys. On a more positive note, actually, let's just talk about the one of the final chapters, which is about the infringed freedom of our kids. I don't have kids. I don't really know if I want them necessarily. I don't know what it would be like to grow up right now as a kid. I don't know if it would be a good thing or a bad thing. But I do know that we're scared of letting kids roam free. When I was younger, I used to a lot. I was quite lucky. I grew up in a village and I'd meet up with other kids in the village. I'd go and jump on hay bales and shit like that. But most people don't have that. Like we're kind of scared. We think the world's a bad place. There's murderers out there. There's paedophiles out there. Keep your kids inside. Go somewhere in groups. Don't get attacked whilst you go out. But in other countries, they don't necessarily do that. In Finland, where they've got some of the most like literate and numerate kids in the world, they let them roam free. They let them make up their own games. So every 45 minutes of learning that they do, they do 15 minutes of free play where they get to make up their own games. They get freedom. And I'm pretty sure in the book he said about how like they they would walk home from school. They're trusted a little bit more to go outside. And if you are listening to this and thinking, I would never let my kid outside. Like, there are literally pedos out there who would snap them up. You're three times more likely to have your kid struck by lightning than you are to have them murdered by a stranger. The news would have you think otherwise, right? We see stuff on the news every single week. It's like, right, this person's been murdered or this person's been stabbed. This person's been raped. So we think that the world is a terrible and evil place where this stuff is happening all the time. But you have to think of the grand scale of things. And I'm, and I'm not trying to say anything is not bad. It's still bad that we have it, but it's not as regular 
as people make it out. And we're living in one of the safest times ever. Violence against adults and kids has plummeted dramatically over the last like few years. This is statistically the safest time to be alive ever. But because of the media, we don't think that. We think the world's a terrible place. But it's not. Like, people are actually all right. It's just mental that we're fed this by the media. It's a shame. Read the book. Obviously, like I, I would, I would say that because I fucking want you to read the book anyway. Um, but yeah, in in Finland, it works best because they they give them they give kids this like free roam and this play, and only point one percent of them have got a di- a diagnosis of ADHD in Finland. Whereas in the states, I think it's like over almost ten percent of kids have been diagnosed with ADHD. But it could be up to 19. I can't remember the exact statistic, but I know that it's quite worrying. And I put something up about stolen focus the other day, about how sometimes I try and diagnose myself with ADHD. And someone was like, oh, you should get medication from your GP. And I didn't reply to the comment because, look, if I reply to a comment, then I've got to have a conversation. I don't really want to have the conversation. And then I could just talk about it on my podcast. But I don't want to just stick a plaster over something. For me personally, it's not so overtly obvious that I've got ADHD that medication seems like a reasonable route for me. And some of the medications for ADHD are not good. I've got quite an addictive personality, right? If if you give me a pill that makes me focus better, I'm taking that forever. I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing. But that's my opinion. If you're on ADHD meditation, um, then, well, more power to you. Not my life. But, yeah, Hanari's pretty much made a solid stance against like medication um, or the frivolous prescription of medication. That's what I would say. Let's face it. Some people need medication. It's not a bad thing. I don't want to stigmatise med- medication here, but there are people out there who don't need medication and the doctors will just fob them off with a little pill to make them better. And that's not necessarily a good thing. There are some issues that need addressing before you do that. In my opinion, once again, not a doctor. Who gives a fuck what I'm saying? I'm just reading a book from Johan Hari, so blame him. I know that all sounds pretty worrying, right? The whole premise of this book and the whole premise of this podcast has been on quite a negative note, but there are some places who are doing well out of this. And, and well, doing well out of this, that'll be the tech companies. They're making so much money, they're never going to stop doing what they're doing. But there are some places who are fighting back. There's a couple of reports of companies in New Zealand who have reduced to a four-day work week to combat the fact that people are getting so distracted and people are doing the same amount of work they would do in five over a four-day period and their well-being's increased. Shock, less work, more well-being. That's brilliant. Get a three-day weekend every single week. Um, so that there are people who, who are escaping this and there, there are people who are not going on tech and you don't have to don some yellow robes and go and live in an ashram to escape this. There are plenty of options and, and they're discussed in the book. But this is essentially a call to arms by Johan Hari. And there's information on his website that I'll, I'll put in the link in the description of things that you can do to sort of fight back. One of the main things will be try and reduce your social media time. I'm going to be having three or four days a week where me and my flatmate have no TV, no phones in the evening. And we'll just play board games or something. Play chess. Play cards, play Monopoly deals. Monopoly deals, without a doubt, is the best card game out there, in my opinion. You can be so competitive with it, it's great. And it gets everyone involved. It's fun for the whole family. 
not sponsored by Monopoly Deals, but it really is brilliant. You should get it if uh, if you're into playing games. And even if you're not, give it a good go. Because what else are you going to do? Watch TV on your laptop? It's not going to be good for your brain, is it? Read a book, maybe, actually. Damn it, I should have said that. I should have led with that, shouldn't I? I should have led with read a book. That's That would be more on brand for me, but I've led with Monopoly Deals. So you know just how good Monopoly Deals obviously is if, if I'm leading with it. But yeah, the, the book's fucking brilliant. And I, I, I can't stress enough how important it is to read it, just so you kind of are aware of the issues that are are happening because over consumption of technology and these fucking media companies who are just hacking our brains constantly. It really sucks. It really, really does. So, um... So I would definitely recommend reading this book. I think my ability to pick good books is getting so much better. Um, and this book is no different. It's really, really good. Pick it up for what, a tenner? Buy it from a local bookshop if if, if you're that way inclined. But that, again, is a bit of a case of cruel optimism. Bookshops probably won't be around in ten years. Not everyone's going to use them. Maybe learning cruel optimism has actually ruined... Uh, Ruined a few things for me in terms of my optimism. So yeah, even though this sounds like a really negative podcast, and I've been really negative with the whole thing, I promise you, it's a good book, and it does fill you with... Well, it just educates you, doesn't it? I may make it sound negative, but I don't really think it's a negative situation if you if you become aware of it, and awareness is the start. The awareness of the start is the start of everything, really, even when it comes to meditating. So how are you now, this is what you need to think about, is how are you going to stop yourself getting fucked by big tech companies? And I think one of the first places to start is not overusing social media and connecting with the people around you, be that a games night a couple of times a week or be that by not watching TV and not being on your laptop for an evening or maybe even turn the internet off for a night, go back to the dark ages, see how that feels and just really try and get into the real world as opposed to this techie world um i've spoken about this before but the fact that mark zuckerberg thinks it's a good idea to have the metaverse is a very 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 worrying fact because the metaverse is probably going to be awesome let's face it it's going to be sunshine and rainbows and everything's going to be happy but it's going to be a metaverse you're not actually going to be able to connect with people and have a little bit of a conversation but nothing's going to beat that in-person connection that you can have so would i recommend the book yes do i think it's 10 out of 10 no, I think it's about an 8.5. There's definitely been better from Johan Hari, but it is an incredibly important book. And I think if you have any intention of continuing to be a human um, for the rest of your life, then, yeah, read the book. It's going to be very important because where you put your attention is essentially what you focus on. And what you focus on becomes your life. Not to sound like one of them manifesty people, but it is true. What you focus on, you focus on, don't you? I would say go and buy the book from your local bookstore or get it online. I don't really care where you buy it. Um, Buying it in a bookstore kind of seems like that cruel optimism thing. But I'm going to just finish it off by reading you a bit from the book, which is it's near the end. It's kind of near the summary. It says, your ability to develop deep focus is, I've come to believe, like a plant. To grow and flourish its full potential, your focus needs certain things to be present. Play for children and flow states for adults. To read books to discover meaningful activities that you want to focus on, to have space to let your mind wander so you can make sense of your life, 
to exercise, to sleep properly, to eat nutritious food that makes it possible for you to develop a healthy brain and to have a sense of safety. And there are certain things you need to protect your attention from because they will sicken and stunt it. Too much speed, too much switching, too much stimuli, intrusive technology that's designed to hack you and hook you, stress, exhaustion and processed food that's pumped with dyes that amp you up and polluted air. So that's the thing. We need to nourish it. We need to give our focus and our attention what it needs. It is kind of an emergency. So I definitely recommend this book. It's probably about an 8.5 out of 10 because, like, let's face it, it does make you feel a little bit negative. But we can't run away from this shit. It is quite important. So, yeah, go and get the book. You're absolute legends. But before you do that, just check out the description of this episode for the email list and sign up to it. I've got a lot of exciting things coming up. There's going to be more consistency with the episodes and a little bit of a rebrand. So soon you can expect a new logo and a new identity for a need to read. It's exciting. Times are exciting. Things are cool. In the description of the episode, email list, that's all you need to know. It's been a pleasure talking through this book. Thanks for listening. You're a legend. I love you. Au revoir.